Go ahead and open your Bible to James chapter 4. My name is Eric. I'm the pastor of small groups. Pastor Doug asked me to preach this morning because I'm a planner. It's true. He knows it. I know it. I'm a planner. Hey, if, if you're a planner, like this has been a really bad year, hasn't it? Like planners, we, we need some love, right? Like nothing has gone according to plan. This month our staff is working through our, our calendar, making plans for 2021, and I know in the back of our minds we're all thinking like, really? Like, is this just a waste of time? Is this a joke? What's going to happen? Hey, hey, buzzwords, buzzwords from this, this year. Everything is fluid. Have you been hearing that word? Everything is fluid. I'm not even sure what that really means. And, and we just need to adapt, right? I mean, if I had a dollar for every time I heard these, these words, but my favorite word is, is the word pivot. Have you been hearing this word? We need to pivot, learn how to pivot. Hey, here's what pivot means. Pivot means I have a foot and it's planted and now I am pivoting, right? Like this is the definition of pivoting. Do you see what's happening? I'm just spinning in circles. We're gonna continue to pivot all year. All we're doing is spinning, spinning in circles. These are words we like to tell ourselves because we like to think we're in control. If we've learned anything this year, church, we are not in control. James chapter four, verses 13 through 17. James wants to speak to our planning. Let me get on the table first. Plans are not wrong. Plans are not bad. The problem is when we make plans apart from God. That's the problem. When we go ahead and make our own plans absent from God as if God does not exist, that's the problem. And if you're not a planner, if you're one of those free-spirited, just spontaneous, like the Lord loves you, and this morning, uh, really, it's, it's not so much about planning. This is about a mindset. James is cultivating a mindset of how we view God and how we view ourselves Five verses, James wants to give us four things to know and one thing to do. Four things to know, one thing to do, and James is challenging our thinking. Verse 13, and James starts with a warning. He starts this paragraph with a warning. Come now. This word carries urgency. This, this verb carries intensity. See, James is writing to Christians, uh, but these Christians in their planning, they're living like an atheist. Uh, what I mean is they, they are Christian atheists, that they, they believe in God, but they're going through life making plans as if God does not exist. And James is not happy. James is calling them out, confronting them. There's, there's a tone in this paragraph. If we put this in today's terms, I mean, James is saying, come on, man. Like, like seriously? Really? You, you've got to be kidding me. Come on, man. Uh, this, this warning now moves to sarcasm. Come on, now. You who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. See, James is not blasting businessmen, businesswomen. He, he doesn't cite specific cities. You'll go to Rome, you'll go to Corinth. No, he leaves it open. This is such and such a town. It's, it's open to imagination because this is an illustration. He doesn't say what these merchants are selling. It could be perfume, 
It could be pottery, it could be pickles. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter, it's an illustration. Because this is not about buying or trading, selling, investing. This is not about business principles. This is about overconfident Christians who are making plans apart from God. This is why I say these, these, James is speaking to Christian atheists. They believe in God, but they're living, making their plans as if God does not exist. Look at the subject. What's the subject of these verses? You who say, we will go, we will spend, we will trade, we will make a profit. James is like, you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. See, the first thing that James is doing, he's, he's challenging our presumptions. James shows us in this text, there's three ways, three areas that we often make presumptions, not just the church in the first century, us today. Our first presumption is time. Time. Verse 13. Today or tomorrow, we will go there and we will spend a year there. James says, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. See, planning assumes tomorrow, right? Like, like we make plans presuming tomorrow, presuming next month, presuming next year, but James is saying, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed 20 minutes from now. See, presumptions are not promises. Uh, when I was 16, I was probably an overconfident teenager. Have you ever met one of those? I was 16, I was at the food court, eating at the mall, and I go to Panda Express, I go up to the line, I get my red tray, I get my plate of orange chicken, I go to pay, and they give me a fortune cookie. But immediately I realized this fortune cookie is different. Somebody messed up in packaging. They put two cookies in one package. So when they handed me the fortune cookie, I got two fortune cookies. Like, this is like the Willy Wonka golden ticket of all fortune cookies. Like, this has to be good. This has to be special. I've never seen this before. Like, this must be a sign. So I'm, I'm 16, I'm eating in the food court, and, I, and I'm thinking about a plan. Like, I'm not going to open this. Like, what am I going to do with this? Like, this is special. I'm going to save this. In fact, I'm going to save this until I'm going to open this up with the person that I marry. Eight years later. Eight years later, I'm with Krista. This is one month before our wedding. I mean, she's the one. She is worthy to open the fortune cookie. These fortune cookies have moved with me three different states, okay? Completely solid, not broken, very protected, and now it's time. I mean, you just got to imagine the suspense, right? So, so we... We smash open the fortune cookies, we read the fortune cookies, and they were so lame. <laughs> like, like, they weren't even fortunes, like they were just these random sayings, like these proverbs, principles, like it, such a letdown. Like, I can see on her face, like she's wondering, I still got a month, like this is weird, do I really want to? <laughs> we finished the meal. I was presuming, like my expectations were up here, I was presuming so much, holding on to this for eight years. We finished our, our meal, and I, and I realized, hey, there's something on the back of the fortune cookie. Yeah, I've kept them. 
There's something on the back of the fortune cookie. It's, it's, a, it's a Chinese word. It's a Chinese character. It's, it's translation. And so there's a, a word underneath it. So I look at my word, learning Chinese. It says haircut. <laughs> like, like not only are they stale, not only were they lame fortunes, like now it's insulting, right? Haircut. Like that didn't work out very well. I look at Krista's. Hey, what's your say? It says wife. True story, 100% true story. Come up, look at it when you're done at the end. It says wife, like we so often do this, right? Like we hatch a plan, we hold on to it, presuming it's gonna work out, we protect it, we move around with it, and then when the time is right, we, we smash it open and we open it up and it's just gonna work out, right? Man, I wish plans worked out like that more often. It really does say wife. I and mean, what are the odds of that, right? We presume the future. We, we hold on to our plan. We, we assume it's just gonna work out. We have this idea, we carry it around with us. See, we presume time. I was presuming eight years. I was presuming I was gonna get married in the first place. We presume time. And we presume choices. Verse 13, you who say tomorrow we will go to this town or that town. See, we, we presume that we have choices, that we have options. I mean, how many of us had, had plans this year? We were going to go to this town or to that town. We were going to go on vacation, go on a trip, see family, see friends, and then just, you know, COVID just blew that all up. Like, we presume our choices. We have so many choices today. Like, go to Walmart, there's a whole aisle just of chips. Like, seven rows tall, like, like, or three rows tall, like, like seven feet. Like, we have so many options. There's a whole aisle just of cereal, right? Brands and flavors and boxes and size and bag. Like, and I think what this does, it deceives us that, that we are so used. We are so used to picking and choosing. We're so used to this deceives us to think I am in control because I can make so many choices. I have so many options. I can be selective it deceives us. It fools us into thinking we're in control. My wife sent me to the grocery store with a grocery list, and it says ranch. So, so I went to the, the section of salad dressing, not even a whole aisle, just, just a section. Do you know there's 185, I counted, 185 different kinds of salad dressing? There's 32 different kinds of ranch, and that's just a squeeze bottle. That's not the packets or the bowls or the dips or anything else. Like, that's just a squeeze bottle. Like, 32 different kinds and flavors. We have so many options today, so many choices. And this deceives us to think, I am in control. I get to pick, I get to choose, I get to do whatever I want. And does God care about your salad dressing? No, he doesn't. And it's not like if you pick the wrong ranch, like you're gonna be out of God's will and now you're just gonna have a miserable salad. Like that's not how it works. James is challenging us how we think. He is challenging how we view ourselves, but more importantly, how we prioritize God as a part of our plans. Because I have time because God gives me time. I have choices 
Because God gives me the freedom, he gives me the capacity, he gives me that flexibility to choose. And I have abilities. This is our third presumptions. I have abilities because God has given me gifts. He has given me strengths and experiences. He has given me things like we so often presume our abilities. Verse 13, today or tomorrow, time, we will go into such and such town, choices. We will spend a year there and trade and make a profit. See, that's our abilities. I mean, nobody hatches a plan that they're going to go spend a year trading and doing business so that at the end they can just lose money. Like, that's not the plan. The, the, the plan is, I'm an able person, and I am going to be successful, and I have a plan, and this is going to work. James is coming after this, this overconfidence. I will go, I will spend, I will trade, and I will make a profit. See, the mindset is, if, if I do this, then I will be successful, I will profit. If, if I create the right plan, and then execute the right plan, I will profit. And Scripture does teach there's a reality of cause and effect. I mean, it does teach work ethic. It does teach stewardship. But the focus here that James is going after, it's this idea of self-reliance, self-confidence, self-determination, that, that if I just look ahead and I just have such a good strategy and such a good plan and I'm the person and I'm going to make it happen and I will profit we're totally cutting God out of the plan. This was the light bulb moment for me in this, this passage when, when we make presumptions. Man, we're, we're so prone to worship potential. Especially those who, who've had some success, who've, who've experienced success for themselves, that, that as, I, as I make presumptions about myself and about the future, it so quickly leads to worshiping potential. See, people don't worship their job. They worship the potential their job can bring. That if I go here and if I do this, that if I'm successful, that if I profit, that greater fulfillment, more knowledge, more opportunities, more influence, a bump in my pay, more status, more power, we don't, we don't worship our job. We worship the potential of what our job can bring. Same thing is true with parents. Parents with, with our kids, we, we don't really worship our children. Like, like maybe when they're, they're newborns and they're so cute, but then you hit those twos and those threes. Like you don't worship your children. You quickly lose that. You love them. You don't worship them, but you easily worship the potential of your kids, Right? That if my child does this, then in the future, that if, if my child is signed up for this event or does this activity, if my child gets these grades, then in the future, that if my child is on this travel league team, then there's nothing wrong with travel league sports. We're, we're starting basketball practice for our nine-year-old this week. There's nothing wrong with travel league sports. The problem is when we start presuming the future. And then we start worshiping the potential of what that future can bring. 
See, this sort of thinking, it, it just puts us right center and it removes God, making God completely absent from our plans, that, that God now revolves around my plan and that I'm going to self-will, self-determine, self-fulfill and make this happen. It's so easy to worship potential. That if I get married, then, that if I buy this house or if I reach my goal, if I hit my number, if I just stay healthy, then, we, we, we do this. We, we have an if-then reality. And it's so easy, trusting in ourselves, self-determining, trying to fulfill that future, and we begin to worship it. If this happens, if this changes, Is planning wrong? No. But James is wanting us to reorder our plans so that God is the starting point. So our plans are, are first anchored in him. See, merchants are, are just the illustration. And now mist is another illustration. Verse 14. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That's kind of depressing, isn't it? James doesn't say what is life. He doesn't say what is the purpose of life. He says what is your life? What is my life? I'm a mist. In the original language, I'm just literally a puff of smoke. I'm steam coming up from a coffee cup. I'm just a single breath on a cold morning. I know so many of us, we've, we've, we've heard this. This is familiar. We, we've heard this, that I am a mist, but I don't think we know what to do with it. Because life feels so concrete. But life feels so, so permanent, so fixed, so tactile, so tangible. Like it, just, it just feels so settled and established. And man, life's a mist. James says, you're a mist. You appear a little time, and then you vanish. See, James is speaking to self-reliant, self-confident, self-determining people. And I think he's trying to, to get their attention, trying to grab their attention and drill into them, anchor them into this truth that we all live, and then we die. And the world will go on without us. See, we like to think that the world will, will not be able to go on without us, but it, but it does. James is trying to get their attention that the world will go on without you. You are a mist, you appear for a little time, and then you vanish. Because the world does not revolve around me. God does not revolve around me. I am a mist. I think we need to be careful with this verse. Uh, James is, is not saying, we, we can take this too far, James is not saying that your life doesn't matter. He just says life's a mist. It's an illustration. James is not downplaying the value of life. Life is precious. Every person is created in the image of God. That means in his likeness, we are to reflect him, that we are to re represent him. 
That means every person has a life that matters because our life originated, it came from God. From the moment of conception in a mother's womb, every single life matters. We are created in his image. His image gives us sanctity. His image gives us value and dignity and worth and equality. No life is greater and no life is less than. Before God, all lives matter. I think the Lord is saddened right now on both sides by how Christians and non-Christians are treating one another, how believers and non-believers are treating each other because according to God, all lives matter, created with worth and dignity and equality and significance and value. That's the sanctity because it comes from Him. We are a mist. We appear for a little time and then we vanish. See, we are not in control. Life is short. How short? Really short. It's easy to spend so much of our time obsessing over the big decisions, just just wrestling through, preoccupied in our minds with the big things of life. Where should I go to college? What should I study? What job do I want? Should I go to grad school? Should I get married? Who should I marry? Do I want kids? How many kids? Should I stay in my current job? Should I buy a house? Which one? How big? How should I spend my money? How should I give my money? Should I go to church? Which one? Should I serve in my church? What should I do? What should I do with my life? What's my calling? What's my purpose? What's my passion? What are my dreams? What are my goals? When should I retire? Am I ready to retire? What am I going to do when I retire? What's, what's next? We obsess over these big decisions of life and James is telling us, Come on, man. You're just a mist. I think James is wanting us to to reorient our plans, to to reorder our thinking where it's, it's less about me and it's more about what does God think about? What are the things that the Lord thinks about? What is on his mind? Philippians 4 verse 8 says, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I think these are the things God cares about. Truth and honor and justice, purity, love, Things that are commendable. Things that are they're just good. They're, they're just right. Things that are excellent. They're, they're just, they're unique. They're set apart. They're different. Things that are worthy of praise. Think about these things. Do you think about these things? Does God care what college you go to? what your job is, who you marry, how many kids you have, what church you go to, what your purpose is, what your passion is, what your fulfillment is, what what are your goals? Does does God care about that? Yeah, I think he does. But a lot less than we do. James starts this passage with a warning. That's, That's his tone. 
He's now trying to drill this through two vivid illustrations to get our attention. And now he wants to anchor us into some truth. Here's the truth. Your time, your abilities, and your choices come from God. Verse 15. Instead, so opposed to what you were doing, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live. And do this or that. James is not against planning. It's about the order of your plans. It's about creating this mindset of who comes first in your plans. Because we should say, if the Lord wills, we will live. Who comes first? The Lord. In, in our plans, we, we so often focus on the what. James wants us to focus on the who. According to, to James, our plans are always subject to God's plans. Like, like sometimes our plans work out. His plans always work out. James wants us to reorder our thinking, reorder our lives around who, who comes first. This means that we, we can't just squeeze God into our plans. We, we can't hatch a plan and hold on to it and protect it and then just try to add God into it. James is saying that's not how it works. You're a mist. It's not about what. It's, it's about who. Who comes first. James is bringing us back to the same three presumptions that we make, the same three. He, he does this. He, he kind of introduces an idea, moves on, comes back to it. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live because our time comes from God. God gives us time. Scripture says that our days are numbered. This means that God knows when we will live and he knows when we will die. But the hope here, the beauty here is that he knows and he wills. See, it's not up to us. If the Lord wills, we will live. And that means that we don't have to be afraid of death. That we can fully trust that God is as the author, as the creator, as the inventor of life who gives us time that we are in his hand. So we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to worry Jesus says just by worrying, who can add an hour to their life? You can't. If the Lord wills, we will live. And when a loved one dies, we experience sadness and grief and loss. We miss them, and that's biblical. But we can't control it. Their life is not in our hand. So we shouldn't become angry, we shouldn't become fearful, we shouldn't become doubting, we trust. Our time comes from God. From our perspective, it, it looks like sometimes someone's life may have been cut short, and that can be sad, but we trust the Lord. If the Lord wills, we will live. God gives us time, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this. See, God also gives us abilities. Abilities to do this. I love how general James is. He just leaves us completely open. 
Whatever this is, God gives you the ability to do it. The things that you do, the things you're good at, this comes from God. And, and yeah, we, we can grow and develop and strengthen and improve. We can get better at the things that we're good at, but, but ultimately our abilities come from the Lord. So instead of having overconfidence in ourselves, James flips this. Instead, we should have great dependence in God because our abilities first from, come from God. They're not just stirred up and created and generated from within. They're not self-determined. They're God-given. They are gifts. They are abilities that God has given you. So we don't have overconfidence in ourselves and what we can achieve and what we can do. We have complete dependence in what the Lord gives us. He gives us time. He gives us a, a choices. He gives us abilities. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. God gives us choices. James wants us to, to reorder our plans where everything starts first with God. Because in our time, in our, in our abilities, in our choices, God gives us immense capacity. He gives us freedom. He gives us flexibility to live and do this or that. See, God's will is not this, this corn maze that we're all trying to, to figure out and we're frustrated and we're wandering around lost. God's will is not this like magic eight ball that we shake up and, and we look into for answers. God's will for your life is, is not this like tightrope that you're, you're supposed to balance on and walk. It's, it's not a bullseye, a target. It's not a spot. It's not a dot. That's so restrictive. It's not about God opening doors and closing doors. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. James is, is trying to reorder our plans, reorient our thinking. Who comes first? He's challenging us to, to view life differently, not with us at the center where everything revolves around us, but instead anchoring our plans first in the Lord. That's where it starts. Augustine, he was the father of the, the early church back in the fourth century a long time ago. He, he said, love God and do as you please. The problem is when this is reversed, when we just do as we please and we say we love God. See, if you, if you truly love God, like if, if this is where you're anchored in, if, if this is your starting point of, of you love God, this becomes your motivation, this becomes your calling, your passion, this is the dream, this is what's fulfilling, that it is you love God, live and do this or that. Love God and do as you please. That's the target, that's the center, that's the starting point. James is giving us four things to know, one thing to do. The last thing he wants us to know, boast in God, not yourself. Pride is evil. Verse 16, but as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. 
The key here is always the word that follows boast. Because in Scripture, there are things that the Scripture commands us to boast in. There are good things that we should boast in. We should boast in Christ's death. We should boast in our own weakness. We should boast in God's strength. Boasting's not the problem. It's what is the object you are placing your boasting in. That's the difference. Here, James says, you boast in your arrogance. That's the problem. The word arrogance in, in Greek, it's, it's plural. It's literally arrogances. Like, that's so true, right? Like, rarely do we just boast in one thing. Often we're boasting in many things. It's a condition of the heart. It's a mindset attitude. The other thing that, about this word is, is the, the root of this word comes from a word of, of wandering about. That when we are arrogant, that we are so self-confident, self-reliant, so sure, so certain of ourselves, so determined, if I do this, then this will happen and I will profit. That's just wandering around. That's just roaming. That, that, that's just lost. That's just blindness. In our arrogance, we think life is so concrete so determined, so sure. And James is challenging that. He's totally pushing back against that. No, that, that's just, that's roaming. That's wandering. That's lost. See, pride says me first. My passions, my dreams, my goals. I want to be fulfilled. And James says, this is evil. See, God didn't just create us to do things and to go places. He created us that we can align our hearts with his heart, that we can be passionate about the things that he is passionate about, that we have the capacity to love the things that he loves, to think about the things that he thinks about. And this means that living this out can look differently for every single one of us. Because James doesn't get into the specifics of, of what's the plan. He leaves it completely open-ended. It's not about what, it's about who. Who comes first in that plan? Love God and do as you please. The challenge is loving God. Like, that's the challenge. For the last four chapters, James has been laying out this, this new way of living calling us to be the kind of people who truly love God. Paragraph by paragraph, he's been giving us examples and commands and truth, showing us what this way of living looks like, calling us to be this kind of people who love God in our knowing, in our boasting, in our remaining, exchanging religion, loving God in our impartiality, in our works, in our talk, in our wisdom, in our passions, last week in our judging, and now in our planning, James has been laying out, this is the kind of people that God wants you to be. And if you're doing this, live. And do this or that. Because we got loving God right. That's what matters most. That's the starting point. Verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. See, James has been building up to this. This is almost the culmination. For the last four chapters, he's, he's been building up to this. 
He's been telling us the things to know, not a checklist, creating a a mindset of the things that, that he wants us to know. And now we're responsible not just to know the right thing, we're responsible to do the right thing. And if we don't, it's sin. For four chapters, he's been telling us what to know, and he's been dropping, dropping these these words of being doers, not just hearers, be doers of the word. Be be working out your faith. See, James wants us to be applying, to be doing, to be reordering our life, first starting with the Lord. Church, I want to challenge you, What's, what's one thing? What is one thing, maybe from this series or even from today, that the Lord is pressing into you today? One thing through the help of the Holy Spirit that you want to get after, that you want to start reordering your life around, reorienting your values and goals and dreams around that, and then live. Let's be these kinds of people. Let's pray. Lord, we are utterly dependent on you. Lord, left to ourselves, our our simple plans simply would be foolish. They will not work out. God, we are completely at your mercy, Lord, trusting you. Lord, as the author, as the creator, Lord, as the inventor of, of, of life, Lord, the one who gives us time and choices and abilities, God, would you help us? Lord, would you help us to live for you? Lord, would you help us this week? Lord, as we we go about our life, Lord, that we wouldn't just live apart and absent from you as if you don't exist, but God, that we would start with you. Lord, that you are the motivation. Lord, you are the dream. Lord, you're the passion and you're the fulfillment. Lord, we need you. And God, as as we love you, you give us so much freedom and flexibility and liberty to live, to do this or that. It doesn't matter because we're loving you. God, may our lives reflect that. Lord, may we emulate you every day. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.